Those of you who know me, well, for a long time, I had one of the greatest grannies on earth. If you are a grandparent, you are so important. <laughs> you know, most of you know that my parents were missionaries, and so we would see, we didn't even live in the same town as my grandparents. We were here in the States, but we were only in the States um, one year uh, every four years. So it'd be four years in Africa, one year here in the States, and then we live in a different town, so it doesn't really give for a lot of relationship time spent together, but I don't know how she did it. But my grandmother impacted me in just an incredible way, just put a stability in my life, just a foundation that it was like that little farm in West Texas was just the place on earth I always wanted to be. So I was a great, great fan of my granny, and those of you who know my mom, if you picture my mom in your mind, my granny was the opposite of that in every way. <laughs> she was a happy, content, satisfied, bubbly little farmer's wife. They had a, a very small farm. Um, she had, so unlike my mother, she had no use for propriety, for finesse, any of those things. She had no use for those things whatsoever. We would always tease, once you married into the family, uh, as far as granny was concerned, she just gave birth to you. And that's how she acted. So <laughs> all of the in-law kids would, would sort of, um, know when to take cover because Granny had always worked the night shift before we came to stay with her. And then she wouldn't work while we were there, but she would walk in the front door giggling. She'd pull off her wig with one hand, and she's unbuttoning with the other. And she's about to get comfy. And she doesn't care who's there. So everybody scatters until Granny makes her way, giggling and bubbling all the way to her room. And then she would come out in what my Granny invented, and she called it a lounge suit. And this is one of the things I love best about my granny, what I relate to her most in, and that is that in truth, this lounge suit was a pair of pajamas. But it was carefully, carefully disguised. She sewed them herself. <laughs> She sewed the pants from this black, silky material that she considered to be very dressy. And she would make a black top that was long and covered everything. And she would embellish it with lace and buttons and trim. And she fancied these up. But the bottom line was that they were pajamas. But they were legal. Because, you know, people go to the mall and everywhere else in pajamas today. And you didn't do that back then. <laughs> if you're one of my children, you don't do that today. <laughs> or if you do, you, you wear the sweats that you wore to bed so no one knows that they're pajamas. But um, Granny just believed being comfortable. She wanted to just be at home. She wanted to be comfortable. And that's kind of much to my mother's dismay how my sister and I both are. 
Those of you, again, who know my mother know that she's a very fine lady. <laughs> she's a very classy lady, and so I do my best to be classy whenever I'm around her so that she is not ashamed of me in any way. But I will confess that I am a great, great lover of pajamas. I think that they are one of the finest pieces of clothing ever invented. If I could get away with Granny's um, invention, I would get away with it. But because I'm such a great lover of pajamas, I get into them as early as possible every day. And that's when I'm pretty sure no one's coming, and sometimes even if they're close enough, even when I know someone is coming. <laughs> and if they've seen my pajamas once, it's not going to hurt them again. So we have this lingo. We have a lot of lingo. But we have this one word that is completely, I believe, unique to our family. We have invented to describe this event, this wondrous event that happens every evening where we don our pajamas. And so as soon as we're wanting to get comfy for the evening, one of us will say, I'm going to go get jamified. <laughs> and that is the donning of one's pajamas, if you did not know that before. And before long, everyone follows suit. And we're all in our pajamas, which are these divine garments. Now, the Kizans also have a, a bit of lingo that I love. <clears throat> I don't think their children are very fond of this, and I know mine are not, but I love it. And it's this uh, lingo, it is the word voluntold. Have y'all ever heard that? <laughs> this is the word that describes when someone has expressed some sort of a need, and your offspring hesitate <laughs> one one thousandth of a second to volunteer, <laughs> to fill this need that they're capable of, feeling, of filling. And when that happens, the parents jump in, jump in and they say, you've been voluntold, <laughs> which is very, very close to volunteered, except it takes away the whole element of choice. There is no longer any choice involved. And so, you know, every family, if we had time this morning, you guys would be able to tell me some really interesting lingo of your family, but every family, every um, culture, every, sometimes, you know, even in uh, areas in different parts of a city, people have their unique little lingo that they use. And the family of God is no different. <laughs> in the family of God, in the kingdom of God, we have some lingo, and so we're going to talk about some of that today. And the very first thing that we're going to talk about is, um, I had a real cool word for it, but it's gone for me now, so we're just going to call it our, our we'll call it our archaic lingo. For whatever reason, um, in the church, we like to use the word hallelujah. How many of y'all have heard that? How many of you know that it's not English? <laughs> it's not English. How many of you know what it means? <laughs> Do you know, Megan? <laughs> she, she knows that it's a praise to the Lord for sure. How many knows, know literally what it means? What was that? Well, it's probably pretty... You can't get any... 
any higher than that. So it's literally praise the Lord. Why we don't say praise the Lord, I don't know. We like to say hallelujah instead. Maybe somebody way back thought, this is a really cool word. We're just not going to translate it. We're just going to use it in the original language because it sounds cool when we say it. Hallelujah. And here we are, years later. Another one you'll hear sometimes is someone, this is in English, but someone saying glory. Do you all know what that means? Because it's kind of weird. Do you hear anybody else going around the street saying glory? <laughs> it's, it's our lingo. And so, you know, glory is kind of close to you are so awesome, God, but it's just a step further. <laughs> means I can't describe it. I can't say it. Um, amen. How many of y'all know what amen means? So be it. I believe we had a sermon on that not too long ago, didn't we? So y'all essentially cheated uh, by remembering what you were taught. I'm sure that's a form of cheating somehow. But yeah, so be it. So why don't we just say, yeah, so be it. I don't know. We like to say amen. And so all of those things are fine. It's, you know, I don't go to your house and I don't say, you know, I can't wait till I get home and I'm going to get jamified because that's not... Um, Lingo that translates. <laughs> and so some of these words, they're fine in the context, in the context of our church and our, our, the body of Christ, church family. But, you know, sometimes we've got to be careful with our lingo when there's other people around because they don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> if they're not a part of the family, you might just want to try praise the Lord. <laughs> you might just want to say, yeah, I agree with what you're saying instead of amen. Now, if you're in Africa... I don't know who taught them, but honey, if you say hallelujah, you're going to hear a thunderous response of amen. It's like a responsive thing. Anytime you say hallelujah, the entire congregation says amen. So it's a great way of getting people to respond to you when you're preaching if you feel like they are unresponsive. So, you know, we have this lingo that is a little bit archaic. But then, uh, this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today. We have our lingo in the family of God is characterized by being positive and by being life-giving. Now, we're going to look in Hebrews, not Hebrews, yeah, Hebrews, chapter 4, and, excuse me. I seem to be unusually thirsty this morning. Hebrews chapter 4. Let me find it, and then we'll get a... Um, oh, how, how about we try Hebrews chapter 11? Did I throw you for... Yeah, Rosa's panicking. You did not tell me that, Melody. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, verse 3, it says this. It says, By faith... And when, when we're saying by faith, it means that this is something that we accept, that we believe you can't see it. There's, there's nothing out there that physically is there that says that we believe it by faith because God said it. We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen we're not made of things that are visible. So, those who were at ladies' meeting last time, we touched on this. We're going to go a little farther. 
But the Bible is telling us that with words and nothing but words, God framed like a carpenter would a house. He framed everything that you see. His words were his tool. That's what he used. Every single thing that you can look around you today and see, whether it's the person sitting next to you, whether it's the clothes that they're wearing. Now, God did not knit that sweater there, but whatever that sweater was made out of, God made (laughs) with his words. And so God used his words or his lingo, what what he said, he used it to produce something. His words were life-giving. They gave life to everything that you see here uh, on this earth. Now we're going to look at Genesis 1. That's about God. We all thought God was pretty impressive, didn't we? Yeah. So now let's look in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read verses 26 and 27. It says, Then, so this is day 6 of creation. All right. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. So whose image were we created in? God's. Yeah, we were created in the image of God. So like some of you, until I was about 30, everybody said I looked exactly like my father. And then when I hit 30, something happened to me, and everybody said, you look just like your mother. So I don't know. I don't know if the genes just switch places there, you know, right at about age 30. But I am made in their image. I look like them. I have characteristics of of them. Sometimes I'm real thrilled about that. (laughs) Other times I think, oh, no, you know, it's much, I'm much, much more at peace with it now than I used to be when I was younger, when I realized that I was, in fact, turning into my mother. Uh, (laughs) That was unsettling for quite a while. But uh, we were made in the image of God. We were made like him. Then if you look, we won't read it, but in Genesis chapter 2, it tells us that actually we we were like God's modeling project. Everything else God spoke, but when it came to man, God took dirt. That's probably why little boys still love to play in the dirt today. (laughs) They're made in the image of God. God took some dirt, and he created some mud, and he formed a man out of the dirt of the earth. It must have been the most incredible. Y'all seen some of that? Sand art and stuff at the beach that, that people do sometimes. One time we were at the sand dunes when there was this, this competition going on, and it was for someone who is not artistic. I was completely impressed. 
I mean, they made some incredible sand sculptures. And yet, if you can just imagine God creating <laughs> this man out of the dirt of the earth, it must have been the most incredible creation you ever saw. And yet, there was no life in it yet. It was, it was his creation. He made it. He formed it. But then the Bible says that he breathed his own life into this mud figure that he had created, and life came into it. His very own life he inserted into mankind. We're made in his image. We have his life on the inside of us. So if God used his words... If he used his lingo to create, then guess what we have the power to do also? We're made in his image, formed in his likeness. We have that same capacity. So often, how many of you are like me? Sometimes you just spout off at the mouth because you felt like spouting. Megan's an honest girl here. The rest of you... I'm going to pray for you. (laughs) You and me, Megan. We're the two honest ones in here. But um, we have this capacity to use our words to produce things in this world. And if you have this capacity then we need to truly guard the way that we're using it and aim the way that we're using it so that it's something that is truly, truly productive. We're going to just glance at Proverbs 18.21. This should be really, really familiar to most of you, but it says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it, will eat its fruit. What do you have in your tongue? You have two things. What do you have there? Okay, you have the capacity to produce death through your words, through your lingo. You also have the capacity to produce... Guess which one should probably be a priority for us? (laughs) That's exactly right. Life should be a priority for us, recognizing that our words have this tremendous, tremendous power, this tremendous capacity because we're created in his image and in his likeness. Now, Jesus in the New Testament, okay, created all the earth, everything in it. But I will, this is one thing the Lord's just going to have to clarify for me one day when I get to heaven because I've heard a lot of opinions and none of them make sense to me. But one day, Jesus went by a fig tree, he probably didn't live in Pueblo, did he? He probably lived in a very luscious, um, well-watered place where there were trees everywhere. But he went to this fig tree, and apparently he was hungry for figs, and apparently there should have been a fig in the fig tree. But he went to the fig tree, and there was no fig in the fig tree. And so Jesus just looked at that tree, and he said, No man eat fruit of you ever again. Does that sound very serious? And then he just went on his way, and a bunch of things happened, and then the next day comes, 
And he and his disciples are walking by the same tree again. And they are absolutely amazed. This tree is deader than a doornail. It is withered. It is done for. And this is what one of his disciples said to him. He said, Jesus, look, that tree that you cursed is dead. Did Jesus look at the tree and say, I curse you, tree? Is that what he said? No. (laughs) He said a bad thing to it. (laughs) And it died. And I'm sure there's a very good reason for it dying and why he should speak to it like that. Maybe he was just trying to give an illustration or teach them something. I don't know. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, I mean, why did you do that to that poor tree? (laughs) I don't understand. In Pueblo, we water, we till, we fertilize, we try to get our trees to grow. And Jesus spoke to it a bad thing and it died. So in our mouth as humans and especially as members of the body of Christ, our lingo is so important. But it can, it can create death. Even though I'm a born-again woman, I could walk up to you, Nanette, and I could speak something to you that would impart death. Not meaning that Nanette is sitting here and she's a helpless victim. Ah, Melody, curse me, she said a bad thing, I'm done for no. I'm saying I could walk up to Nanette, say something ugly that hurt her heart, and I am, with my mouth, with my words, I am contributing to death. I'm causing discouragement. I'm causing a feeling inside of her that is opposite of what the Bible instructs us to do. The Bible says that everything that we do This is always a good thing for me, uh, and I haven't looked this up, but it's in there. It says, every word that that comes out of our mouth should edify. You know, it's really not hard when we're about to speak a word. (laughs) If we just ask ourselves a simple question, does this edify? It's usually a really, really easy answer. (laughs) It's not hard at all. We know just like that. Yeah. This word edifies, no, it doesn't edify. If it doesn't pass that test, what do you think we should do with it? We should throw it away. I hope you're always in the front row, Megan. Yeah, you are an inspiration to me. So our words are tools that we build with. Um, It says in Proverbs chapter 10, it says that for a righteous person that his words are a well of life. I can remember as a little girl, my parents uh, on the mission field, they worked in a very, very impoverished area. Um, of all the impoverished areas, <laughs> our area was the impoverished area. And I can remember going out in the bush, and our people didn't even have clothes out there. I mean, there wasn't anybody who had a, a tea. Well, they had clothes, okay, not. Now you go to Africa, everybody's got on Western clothes. Maybe they have a a cloth on or something. But in this area, that's all they had. The men had cloths, the women had cloths. Nobody had anything but cloths they were wrapped in, and and none of them were new. They were all um, very, very, very warm, very, very poor people. And I can remember as a little bitty girl going to this watering hole 
and they all threw their gourds over. And this one lady was pulling, she's pulling it back up. And when she pulled up her gourd of water inside there, there was a frog. Does that bless you? Do you have a desire to drink that water? (laughs) No, we want to drink pure, clear water. And the words of a righteous person. (laughs) And if we have the Lord Jesus Christ on the inside of us, no matter what you did yesterday, no matter what you said the day before or how you acted last week, the Bible says that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. So every day to us should be a fresh and new day. (laughs) Every moment, if you blow it at nine, don't wait till the next day. (laughs) Just start a brand new hour, starting right then. Say, okay, you know what? I am the righteousness of God in Christ, and I'm going to act like it. I shouldn't have said what I did. I shouldn't have done what I did. I'm, you know, I'm going to remind myself I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, and my words are a well of life. Our words need to reflect the life of God. So, excuse me, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Everybody just say, my words matter, matter. because they really, really do. How many of y'all have um, people you live with in your home? How many of you will attest to the fact that their words matter? (laughs) they count they're not a nothing they're a something so let's start here in um, verse 29 says let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers and Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, what kind of words does bitterness usually produce? Because we are talking about words in this passage. If I feel bitter on the inside, what kind of words am I likely to produce? Painful words. Yeah. Yeah, words of bitterness. Wrath. How many of you ever felt wrathful? I had a real problem with wrath when I was a child. (laughs) I was born again. (laughs) It made me feel bad. If I hadn't been born again, I probably wouldn't have felt bad, but I was born again. And I would always feel so badly. I'd beat my friends up on a regular basis. And they would tell me, Melody, you're the only friend that we have who, after you beat us up, you come and you fix us. (laughs) And I would. I'd try to make them all better after I beat them up because I felt badly because I knew I was born again. And so one of my prayers, um, I was at boarding school far from home, didn't have a lot of individual guidance, or I'm sure my parents would have had it beat out of me much, much earlier But one of my prayers every day was, oh, God, let me wake up tomorrow and not have a bad temper. I prayed it very regularly. My heart grieved me when wrath would come on me, but my words and my acts would always produce death. 
They would always produce pain. They would always produce something negative in those who were around me. Um, anger. Anger's a little shy of wrath, but, you know, there is something in flesh that likes to just let it rip when you feel angry. But how many of you have ever noticed that once you're done with that, you usually don't feel better? <laughs> and neither does anyone else who's around you. Um, you know, I got a brand new Bible for you guys so I'd be able to read with you, but I really don't like this little flap. I might cut it off. All right. Um, clamor. <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't just be yakking and clamoring all the time. Evil speaking, let evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And this is what we are to do. Be kind to one another. Are you ever unsure if you're kind or not? We're usually pretty sure. <laughs> if we're being unkind, we know it. If we're being kind, we know it. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And so the reason that we're talking about this is these are all things that we do with our words. It's easy sometimes for us to forget the value of our words, that they have the capacity to produce life and that they have the capacity to produce death. Now, <clears throat> we have just a little bit of time left here. Any words that we use that we're not using for something that's productive um, are wasted words. They're words that are, are lost to us. And so as believers, our lingo is to on purpose speak words that are positive, speak words that will bring life. You know, a lot of times we get very, very caught up in the way that the world is all around us, don't we? We rub shoulders with the world, and so we start talking like they do, saying the things that they do, um, speaking with tones and manners that they speak in. And I'll just tell you one thing. Um, many, many people, if, you, if, if we just pretended that right here that this was like a big fence line, okay, just imagine it in your mind that we've got a city over here, got a big fence here, then we've got all sorts of territory over here. Let's say that that fence is that moment, that point of decision where we give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. There comes a point in our lives where we just think, um, I've heard this word, I believe this word, I'm giving my heart to God. So we come, and at that fence post, we commit to the Lord. What we do there and from then is hugely significant. What a lot of people do is they come to the fence post, they give their lives to the Lord, but then they never go very far over the fence to explore all the good things that God has provided in his kingdom for them. They just, 
they just never go over there. They come to the fence. They've been to the fence. There's no doubt that they've been to the fence. But then they come back to what they've always known. They come back to the friendships that they've always had. They come back listening to everything that they've always listened to, all the relationships, everything they've done before. Nothing changes. And so they continue to speak and to act and respond just like they always have, even though they've had an encounter at that fence post. And so I'm going to tell you this. If you found, oh, man, I just, I'm like, I, I'm very, very much the same having been born again in this regard as I was before I was born again. There's just not much change. I'm just going to encourage you this in this to go over the fence. Start spending time with people who know God, people who love God, people who know the lingo of the kingdom, people who know how to use their words to produce things. Start spending some time. You might have to get really, really humble. You might have to just go to somebody that you know who's a strong believer and say, you know, I just need a Christian friend. (laughs) I need somebody to hang out with. I need somebody who'll kind of just show me what it's like to live in the kingdom, to be an active part, because I want my words to start producing things. I don't want to be speaking death. I don't want to be producing death. I want to be producing life. I want to be speaking life. That's what I want. You might just have to humble yourself. You might have to sit home on a Friday night (laughs) all by yourself (laughs) instead of going out with your friends and doing what they do because you're trying to develop this culture where you're going over the fence, where you're starting to live on the other side of the fence way more than you come over here. But I'm telling you, your words are this amazing tool that God has given you. You have been created in the image of God. You have been formed in his own likeness. And you have the capacity with your words to do the same thing that God did in those first six days of creation, creating things that matter.